Well, take your Bibles, if you would, and turn with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus 24. Now, in the, in the days before GPS, the days before smartphones, um, driving required you to be fairly observant of your surroundings. Uh, hopefully, you still are observant of your surroundings. Uh, but you had to be observant to street signs, to signs on the highway. Uh, you had to know where you were and where you were going and all those kinds of things. Without any signs on the road, you would get lost. Uh, without one-way signs or stop signs, you would get into accidents. Uh, signs about entering new states would be helpful so that you would know if maybe the speed limits changed or certain laws changed. You know, back in Florida a little while ago, I think they've changed it now, but back in Florida, you could talk on your phone while you were driving. Um, and I, I had a friend who was used to that, and he came out to California, got pulled over, and he said he didn't know, and the cop was like, yeah, right, buddy. So, uh, you know, different states have different laws, and so sometimes it's helpful to know where you are, where, where you are situated, because uh, depending on where you are, the, the rules of the game change. You know, maybe you're driving down to L.A., and you didn't realize you came into L.A., and all of a sudden people start cutting you off. You're like, what's the deal? It's L.A. It's sinful, sinful city. Uh, maybe you, uh, you know, are, are driving up through Oregon and you pull over to get some gas and somebody starts trying to steal the gas pump handle out of your hand while you're trying to fill up your car and you don't realize that, oh, in Oregon, you can't pump your own gas. You're, you've entered a new state, a new place, and without some signs to tell you, you might be a little confused. If you don't read the signs, you'll get in trouble, get lost, or worse. And, and similarly, though in a much different way, but similarly, when we read the Bible, if you don't understand the big signs, so to speak, you might get a little confused. You might get a little lost. The big signs that I'm talking about this morning are the covenants. When you're reading through the Bible, if you don't understand the, the covenants in the Bible, you might get a little lost and a little confused. How come in the Old Testament you're not supposed to eat certain things like bacon? What a sad day. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, you can. It's because of the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And if you don't understand those things, you might be confused. Why are there contradictions, apparently, seemingly? And so to understand the Bible, to understand the whole Bible, you really need to understand the covenants and the, the major covenants. There are a lot of covenants mentioned throughout the Bible. Some are just kind of minor ones between Abraham and you know, some um, uh, residents of Canaan, for example. But there are some major covenants that God makes with his people. Uh, some of these major covenants would include the Noahic covenant, the covenant he makes with Noah, the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant he makes with Abraham, the Mosaic covenant, the covenant he makes through Moses with Israel, the Davidic covenant, the covenant he makes with David, and then the new covenant, the new covenant. And in particular, this morning, we're looking at the Mosaic covenant. Exodus 24 talks about the ratification of the Mosaic covenant. It's, it's sort of the, um, the official formalizing of the Mosaic covenant. And that's what chapter 24 of Exodus is all about. And you need to understand the Mosaic covenant to make sense of the rest of the Old Testament. If you don't understand the Mosaic Covenant, you will be confused about what the prophets are saying. You'll be confused about why Israel uh, was exiled, kicked out of their land. If you don't understand the Mosaic Covenant, all those things are confusing. Uh, Israel would be exiled out of their land because of their disobedience to the Mosaic Covenant. Uh, the prophets would speak words of judgment because they were, in a sense, covenant enforcers. They were like God's lawyers 
who were enforcing the covenant. Israel, you have broken my covenant in these, in these, in these ways. Therefore, judgment is coming, but there is still hope. That's the message of the prophets. The prophets are really, in in many ways, just repeating what was said in the first five books of the Old Testament, in the uh, the books of Moses. And so if you don't understand the Mosaic Covenant, all these things are going to be a little bit confusing to you. You need to understand why the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant, is obsolete. You also need to understand that. Why it's obsolete if you want to make sense of the whole Bible, not just the Old Testament. If you want to make sense of the whole Bible, you need to understand why the Old Covenant was obsolete and passed away, was temporary. Otherwise, you will misunderstand Jesus. You will misunderstand the gospel. You'll misunderstand the Bible, how it's fit together. Uh, one, one scholar, Tom Schreiner, says this. He, he defines covenant in this way. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises to one another. Uh, sometimes people think of a covenant like a contract, Sort of. I mean, a contract, you make promises, you make an agreement, you sign on the dotted line, so to speak, but there's not necessarily a relationship. You might sign a contract with somebody with whom you really don't have much of a relationship, but a covenant is a, there's a relationship. It's a chosen relationship. It's a chosen relationship in that, I mean, you don't make a covenant with your children. I mean, you can, like, if you clean your room, then behold, there are blessings. If you don't, there are curses. You know, you can make a covenant that way. But in general, you don't enter into a covenant with a family member because you're already in a relationship with them. It's not something you choose, but a covenant is something you choose to enter into. It's a voluntary relationship where you make these binding promises to one another. And they're often accompanied by, covenants are often accompanied by oaths. They're accompanied by signs, by sacrifices, and by ceremonies. They're often accompanied by oaths, signs, sacrifices, and ceremonies. Uh, Perhaps one covenant that you all are more familiar with is the covenant of marriage. It's not just a contract. I hope you don't think of it that way. Like, honey, you broke our contractual agreement. Uh, No, no, no. Marriage is a covenant. There's a relationship. There are promises made to each other, and there are signs, the ring, right? There's usually a ceremony where two people get together, dearly beloved, you know, marriage is, you know, things like that. You make promises to one another. There are witnesses. There's a ceremony. There's a meal afterwards. Oftentimes covenants in the Bible are followed by a meal. They're kind of um, uh, celebrated or enacted with a meal at the end of it. And so covenants are not perhaps too foreign to us, but perhaps you've not thought enough about what the covenants are in the Bible. And so this morning we're looking at Exodus 24 where all these laws, all these commands, all this... uh, talk about a relationship between God and Israel is now formalized into a covenant. Now, just to remind you, before we dive into Exodus 24, I just want to remind you, God has delivered Israel out of Egypt. He's taken them through the Red Sea. He's brought them to Mount Sinai. And in Exodus 19, he says these these huge and important words. In Exodus 19, you can actually turn there first, and you can listen or you can read it along with me. In Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, God says to Israel, now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. What covenant? The covenant I'm about to make with you. If you'll obey my voice and indeed keep this covenant I'm about to make, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you, Moses, shall speak to the people of Israel. So this is the beginning of this kind of covenant language with them. 
And then from there, he goes on to, to meet with Israel on the mountain. If you're in Exodus 19, still you can look at verse 20. And it's very interesting here. You see, it says, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called, called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. So you see, Mount Sinai is kind of this meeting point between God and man. God comes down to the top of the mountain. And Moses has to go up to the top of the mountain. And there they meet. And so in Exodus 19, you have this language of going down seven times. God came down. Moses, go down. Uh, go down comes seven times in the, in the book or in chapter 19. I want you to remember that, seven. Seven times, go down. And then we get to Exodus 20. We have the Ten Commandments. Then we have Exodus 20, verses 22, down to Exodus 23, verse 33. That's called the Book of the Covenant. God spoke the Ten Commandments directly to Israel. He spoke from the heavens, from Mount Sinai, and the, the mountains shaked, and the people trembled in fear. They heard the voice of the Lord directly saying the Ten Commandments, and they said, it was too much. Moses, you go listen. You tell us what God says, and we will listen to you, because if we hear God speak anymore, we will die. So, so they hear the Ten Commandments straight from God, and then the Book of the Covenant, the, the more detailed explanation of those commands, how they are applied in everyday life, they hear from Moses. Moses gets those from God. And so after Moses hears all the, the commands in the book of the covenant, now we get to Exodus 24. Exodus 24. And you see there, it starts in verses 1 and 2 saying this, Then he, that's the Lord, then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Let me just pause here. Moses has heard all these words from God, and now God says, now Moses, go down, or go back to the people and come up. Come up with Aaron. Come up with Nadab and Abihu. Come up with 70. But there's a difference. There's a special select few that can come up, but then you alone can come near, and the people need to be far off. Now, as we walk through this chapter, I want to share with you, I want to highlight for you five truths to understand the Mosaic Covenant. Five truths to understand the Mosaic Covenant. First, I want you to, to notice this. The Mosaic Covenant was initiated by God. First, the Mosaic Covenant was initiated by God. God delivered them out of Egypt. God brought them to Mount Sinai. God said, now if you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you will be to me a treasured possession, and so on and so forth. God is the one who initiates it. Israel doesn't say, God, come save us. God, come do this for us. God, we want to be in this relationship. No, God initiates it. And in verse twenty, or chapter 24, verses 1 and 2, he says to Moses, come up. There's this invitation, there's this command, this, this summons. Moses, come up to Yahweh, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Now, throughout this chapter, the word come up comes up seven times. So chapter 19, go down, go down, go down, go down, seven times. Seven being a, a number of completion or fullness or perfection. Go down, go down, go down. Here in chapter 24, come up, come up, come up, come up. Seven times. There's this idea of mediation between God and man. Moses is going down, coming up, going down, coming up. 
Moses is the mediator here, but it's initiated by God. God's the one who commands this. Moses, go down to represent me to the people. Moses, come up to represent the people to me. But what's interesting here is that you see that only some can come up. Moses and his, and his older brother Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, and then 70 elders of Israel. And, and this, this would be representative of the entire nation. Uh, it's, it's, it's been said that there were probably about 2 million Israelites that came up out of Egypt. And these 70 plus 2 plus 2, 74, are meant to represent all of Israel before God. So only some can come up, but then only one can come near. Only one can come near. Now, what's interesting is the next verse does not say that Moses came up. Verse 3, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord. In, in other words, this coming up, this invitation to come up does not happen until later, until later all the way in verse 9. So verses 3 to 8, something else is happening. So let me just stop there, though. The first point, the first truth to help you understand the Mosaic Covenant, it's initiated by God. Secondly, it's this. The Mosaic Covenant included commands given through Moses. The Mosaic Covenant included, or you could even say, uh, is made up of commands given through Moses. Look at verse 3. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Remember, they had not heard all of chapter 22 at the end to 23. But now Moses tells them everything. And they say, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. So he had only said it verbally. And now he writes it all down, verse 4 says. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men to the people of Israel, uh, sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in, in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, the, the commands he just read. He took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. Let me pause there. What's going on here? He, Moses is relaying, he is repeating all the commands of the Lord, and the people say, once again, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. They said that back in Exodus 19, verse 8, previously. Right? If you obey my voice and keep my covenant, you'll be my treasured possession. The people say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. They don't even know the terms and conditions yet, but they say, we will sign. We will press, yes, I accept. Because they know the Lord is good. The Lord has delivered them. The Lord has saved them. And so they say, yes, we will do it. Now, Moses tells them, now here is what all that means. Here's all the details of it. And they say, yes, we will do it. And then so Moses writes it all down in the book of the covenant. He writes it all down in the book of the covenant. And he now reads it. He doesn't just say it from memory. Now he reads it from a written document so that it's clear. It's on paper. He reads it. And they say, yes, once again, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. This is kind of the heart of the Mosaic covenant, these commands. And they say, we will do them. And, you know, some, some want to pick on Israel and say, oh, that was very... It, that was very arrogant of them. That was very presumptuous of them because, of course, they will fail. But, and I think I said this back when we were in Exodus 19, but what else would they have said? No, we will not obey them. 
That would not be acceptable. The Lord is good. The Lord is king. The Lord is God. The Lord has saved them. His commands are not going to be against you, but his commands are for you. They're for your blessing. And so they say, yes, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And again, I said it a few weeks ago, but I'll say it again now. I hope that is your heart. If you know the Lord, you know you'll fail. But the cry of your heart ought to be, yes, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. If there's an area of your heart that you're holding back from God, if there's an area of your life that you're holding back from God, God, I will obey you in 99% of your commands, but in this one area, I will hold on. I will reserve that for myself. Then who's really in charge of your life? You. God is looking for full, full commitment, full surrender. And so these commands from God are given through Moses at the behest of the people because they were scared they would die. And what's important to to realize here, and we'll talk about this more later towards the end, the Mosaic Covenant was made up of commands that were external. They were about how one ought to behave. Now, Now, certainly there were commands about not coveting, That would be a heart command to love the Lord your God, absolutely. But in general, the the focus was primarily external, on the physical, on what you would do. And there were commands given, but there was no power or provision given to obey them. Israel, do these things, but you're not going to be able to do it. The law gave commands, but the law did not give power. The law required obedience, but the law to not give the ability to obey them. It's not because the law was bad. It's just the law was weak. The law was incomplete. The law was not the end-all, be-all. It was temporary. It was supposed to point forward to a greater need that they would have that God would fulfill. So the Mosaic Covenant was initiated by God. The Mosaic Covenant included commands given through Moses. Third, the Mosaic Covenant was made by blood. The Mosaic Covenant was made by blood. It was, it was ratified by blood. It was consecrated by blood. It, it, in the Old Testament, you would, you would say the Hebrew word was that they would cut a covenant because oftentimes there were sacrifices involved. You would cut a covenant because you'd have to slay an animal. So this covenant was made, ratified, cut by blood. Look at verses 4 to 8. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins. And half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all the Lord has spoken, we will do and we will be obedient. And now listen to what he does in verse 8. In verse 8, and Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Interesting. Here's an altar. Here are 12 stones. Most would say that that altar was meant to represent God. 
There is this covenant being made between God and Israel. There are 12 pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Again, there are 70 elders. There's 12 pillars. It's, it's representing all of Israel here, and you've got an altar there. And half the blood you are pouring out, you're putting at the altar, half the blood you're sprinkling on the people. Now, some would say maybe it was, I mean, how do you sprinkle blood on 2 million people? Likely it was on the 70 in representation of all, or maybe on the pillars, or maybe, yeah, you just super soakered that thing all, all over. Probably not, but maybe in my imagination. There's blood on the altar. There's blood on the people, half on the altar, half on the people. What's going on here? What's going on here? Uh, some would say that perhaps this ritual of blood was, uh, was an act of consecration. Consecration. Remember, Israel's supposed to be a, a kingdom of priests, a kingdom of priests. Later on in Exodus, when they ordain Aaron and his sons as priests, they use blood. There's blood on the altar. There's blood on the earlobes and thumbs and all that kind of stuff. You can read it later. So maybe this was a consecration ceremony setting Israel apart as a kingdom of priests. Perhaps. Perhaps. There, there are some who say uh, blood uh, from these sacrifices was for atonement, was for cleansing. This was atonement to cleanse Israel of their sin. Also, perhaps, but uh, the, the language of burnt offerings and peace offerings don't necessarily uh, bring the idea of atonement into the picture here. P- perhaps that is part of it. Perhaps, after all, uh, blood is, is typically used in, in that idea of sacrifice, of substitution. So perhaps. But primarily, the reason why there is blood thrown on the altar, blood thrown on on the people, is because there was a covenant being made. They were being joined together by blood. This was a a covenant. This was a chosen relationship that God was choosing to enter into, that Israel was choosing to enter into, and it was solemnified, it was ratified, it was made by blood. They didn't sign on the dotted line, they had a shower of blood to indicate the seriousness of this relationship. Later scriptures would talk about this covenant as a marriage, that God in this moment was entering into a marriage-like covenant with Israel. They entered this covenant together with blood. So the Mosaic Covenant was initiated by God. It included commands given through Moses. It was made by blood. And fourth, it was celebrated by a meal. It was celebrated by a meal. So what I said in verse 1 and 2, that God invites them to come up, and it doesn't happen immediately. First, first a covenant needs to be made. First, blood needs to be shed. These, this covenant is made. The people agree to it. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Uh, they, they've, they've kind of done the, 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 the oaths and the vows, so to speak. And now they can come up. Now, verses 9 to 11 is is fulfilling what was said in verses 1 and 2. So verse 9 to 11 say this, Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel, they beheld God and ate and drank. This was a covenant meal. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, a covenant would be um, 
a covenant ceremony would be finished with a meal together. We see the same thing in, in a wedding ceremony today. If you go to a wedding where there's no meal afterwards, I want my money back. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But you, you celebrate that with a meal together. This is why a covenant is not just a contract, but there's relationship involved. There's relationship. And so God invites them up, and he dines with them. This is a very peculiar and interesting passage. Later on in Exodus, it says, no man may see God and live. And yet here it says they saw God. Well, they saw his feet under a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. That is not clear. I don't know what that means. What's going on here? They saw something of God. They didn't see his face. They didn't see his fullness. Again, no man may see him and live. Uh, later, Moses would see, in a sense, his backside as, as God puts him in the cleft of the rock and proclaims his name. No man may see God in his fullness. No man may see his face, his, the fullness of who he is and live. But here, God gives them a glimpse, and they eat a meal together. We, we don't know the details. Did they bring up food with them? Did God just poof, there it is? We don't know. We're not told the details. We don't, we, we're not told what God looks like. We're not told what was said. But they're halfway up the mountain eating with God. How special. The last time man walked with God like this, it was in the Garden of Eden. And here they are with him, eating. Not near, but they were able to come up part way. It says there, the, the pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness in the ESV. Uh, the, the NASB and the, and the CSB uh, word that differently. They say, as clear as the sky itself. So there's some pavement that was as clear as the sky itself, and they see some sort of display of God's presence, and they eat with him. And, and again, what, what, is, what does this signify? One, it signifies that there was a covenant, but two, it signifies fellowship. It signifies God's intention and desire to live with man, to dwell with man, to have a relationship with man. Uh, this perhaps makes you think of Psalm 23. At the end of Psalm 23, he prepares a table before me. Perhaps this makes you think of the marriage supper of the Lamb at the end of Revelation, where we eat with God. Or perhaps this reminds you of another meal with God in the flesh, where those similar words are spoken. This is the blood of the covenant. If you don't know what I'm talking about, we'll get there in just a few minutes. So it was celebrated by a meal. And fifth, the Mosaic Covenant provided limited access by a mediator. The Mosaic Covenant provided limited access by a mediator. Now, if you look there at verses 12 to 18, you you see what happens when Moses draws near. right? It was come up with... Aaron, come up with Nadab and Abihu, come up with 70 elders. They can come up, but they cannot come near. Moses alone comes near. So verses 12 to 18, talk about this this act of Moses coming near. Verse 12, the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua and Moses went up into the mountain of God. 
And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Now, let me just pause there. That, that probably signifies Moses understood he was going to be gone for a while. He wasn't just going to be gone for a minute. He wasn't just going to be gone for an hour. He's going to be gone long enough that he had to put somebody else in charge. So he goes up, verse 15. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses from the midst of the cloud, and the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of, of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So Moses and Joshua go up. There's this cloud. Joshua cannot go in. Moses goes in when God calls him. And it's this cloud. The people down there, they just see... Moses walk into this fiery cloud and think, what just happened? Wow. The people are far off. The 70 elders have come up but cannot come near. Moses alone goes near into the very presence of God, into the, the presence of the glory of God, into the cloud, the glory cloud of God. This, this is a sneak preview of what it means that God would dwell with man through the tabernacle, through the temple. It's really interesting. If you read this section here and you read the last chapter of Exodus, Exodus 40, you'll notice some similarities because in Exodus 40, once they finish making the tabernacle, which I'm, I know you guys are all excited about going through together, when the tabernacle's done, it says the glory of the Lord filled the temple. There was a cloud filled the tabernacle, I should say, and then Moses was not able to enter. Even Moses couldn't enter at that point. Because the, the glory, the cloud on Mount Sinai was a representation of the, the presence of God, and yet this was magnified and an even greater presence was, was available through the tabernacle such that that presence was so great that even Moses couldn't enter at that point. This is a sneak preview. What we're going to see in the following weeks how the tabernacle had different sections. Uh, the, there, there was this outer court. There was an inner area where... where only the priest could go, and then there's the holy of holies that the, only the high priest could go once a year. There were these different levels of access to the presence of God. Here on the mountain, Moses is able to go in. This is picturing for us what it means to have access to God. And Israel would have access to God in a limited fashion. They were far off. Only Moses could go. Moses would speak to them. This was limited access by a human mediator. This was the Mosaic Covenant. This is what happens in Exodus 24, and, and we don't have time to go through it today, but the Mosaic Covenant would also include blessings and curses. They get into that. Moses gets into that in Leviticus and in Deuteronomy. If you obey these things, there's blessings. If you disobey, there are curses, particularly exile from the land of, Egypt, uh, from the land of Canaan. Those are all part of the Mosaic Covenant, but we, we can't get into that today. What I want to do, though, now in our remaining minutes is to talk about the Old Covenant in contrast to the New Covenant. You see, Israel was able to enter into this marriage, into this covenant with God. This was a privileged position. I mean, what nation had this relationship with God where God would say, I am your God and you are my people. I will go with you. I will bless you. I'll take care of you. I'll drive out the people before you slowly so that you can move into houses you didn't build. 
They had a special relationship with God. They had a privileged position, not just for themselves. They were to use their privilege of blessing from God to be a blessing to the nations. Of course, they failed as God foretold that they would. Why? Because the old covenant was written on tablets of stone, as it were. The laws were external. The laws commanded what was good, but they didn't give the power or the ability to obey them. They were circumcised in the flesh, but not in the heart. And that's why God would say continually, circumcise your hearts, O Israel. There's this external law, but no internal power to do it. They failed. They broke the covenant again and again and again until God exiled them from the land. But that was not the end of the story. The old covenant was insufficient by design. Not because God forgot Oh, I forgot that part of the covenant. I should have included it. No, this was by God's design so that they would look ahead to a new covenant. And so if you, if you will take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, this is uh, perhaps the key passage on the new covenant. There are many passages that talk about it, but this is the key one. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. I want you to listen to these words and consider how this contrasts with what we've been talking about. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 to 34. The word of God says this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Do you see that? This is talking about the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. He likens it to a marriage, and he says they broke the covenant. Verse 33, for this, this new covenant, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. There's so many beautiful statements in that passage. So many beautiful statements for which we should give praise and thanks to God that we are under the new covenant. He says, I will put my law not on tablets of stone, I'll put it on their hearts. I'll put it on their hearts, I'll write it on their hearts. They'll love me from the inside. Notice, it doesn't say there won't be any laws but that he puts the law on their hearts, that we will obey not from the outside in, but from the inside out. And when we fail, because we will, he says he will forgive their iniquity and remember their sin no more. This was the hope of Israel. They, they looked ahead to the new covenant. They, they realized they had failed and broken the old covenant. They had broken the Mosaic covenant. They were kicked out of the land they, they didn't deserve a second chance, but God says, I will give you a new covenant. Days are coming when I will make a new covenant with you, and you will be my people. The law will be on your hearts. I will forgive your iniquity. I will forgive your sin. If you read on in Jeremiah 31, it, it makes clear that this new covenant would be brought in when the true son of David would come, that the true king would come and sit on Israel's throne. When that king would come, he would bring in the new covenant. He would He would lead Israel in victory and in triumph. So they were looking forward to the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. They were looking forward to the fulfillment of the new covenant. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and usher in the new covenant. And of course, that Messiah would come 
though in a different way than they perhaps first expected. And if you turn to Matthew 26, you see these words that are very familiar to us. In Matthew 26, in that last meal, that last supper, we see another covenant meal happening with familiar words. Matthew 26, starting in verse 26. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for, and listen to these words, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Luke 22 records that Jesus explicitly said, this this is the new covenant here that I'm doing. So they looked ahead to this new covenant that would be brought in by the Messiah, and here Jesus says, this is that moment. I am that sacrifice. This is that meal. Take, drink. This is my blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins. Now I want you to turn to the right a few more books to Hebrews, all the way near the end. All the way near the end. Hebrews picks up on all these threads and ties them together. I I wish we could sit and just read all of Hebrews 8, 9, and 10, but we cannot And if you want to do that this afternoon, I won't be mad. Hebrews 8, starting in verse 13, in speaking of a new covenant. So he he just quotes Jeremiah 31 there, that whole section right before. He quotes Jeremiah 31, talking about the new covenant. And in verse 13, he says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one, the Mosaic covenant, obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So he says, the new covenant is here to put away the old covenant. Jump down to chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. Chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, it says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see, this Jesus came, and he did something greater than that. Uh, the, the mountain was sort of a, a template for the tabernacle, for this tent, but the tent was made with human hands. But Jesus has come as the greater priest to make a sacrifice, not in a human tent, but in a tent made without hands, in the heavenly tent, so to speak. And he makes this sacrifice, not with the blood of of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Jump down to chapter 9, verse 15. Therefore, he, Jesus, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Moses was the mediator of the first covenant. Moses was the mediator between God and Israel for the first covenant. Remember, Moses was the mediator that had limited access to the presence of God, Only he and he alone could go up onto the mountain, but even he could not go into the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. Only the high priest could go once a year. There was limited access by a mediator, by a sinful human. It was limited. The the masses could not go. They had to worship from afar. But here, Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant, a better covenant. 
Now you jump down to chapter 10, verse 19. Again, I, I just wish we could read all of this, but I'm just, I want to I draw out for you the highlights. In light of all this, because Jesus is the true sacrifice, because Jesus is the high priest, because Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant, because of all these things, it all boils down to Hebrews 10, verse 19. Now listen to this. This is glorious. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Do you see what he says here? Moses was the mediator, and even he had limited access. The people had even more limited access. When when God would command that a, a tabernacle be built, there was limited access. But here it says, under the new covenant. That was all the old covenant, but under the new covenant, a better sacrifice has been made, Jesus Christ. By a better priest, Jesus Christ. Under a new covenant with a better mediator, Jesus Christ. And because of all these things, we can come into the holy places with confidence. We have access to God. We don't just look up and see, well, there's this pavement. We see some feet. We can commune with God fully, not because of our works, not because of the blood of bulls and goats, but because of the blood of Jesus, because Jesus has died to wash us clean, to bring us into a covenant relationship with God, one that he will never break, one that he will never forsake. And this new covenant doesn't just say, now obey these things. This new covenant says, here's the commands, and I will give you the power. I put my spirit within you that you would obey and walk with me, that you would have a relationship with me. This new covenant is initiated by God. It certainly includes commands, but this was made by blood, the blood of Jesus. This new covenant is celebrated by a meal that we get to do all the time. And we have not limited access by a sinful mediator. We have unlimited access to God by a better mediator, Jesus Christ. So, We see what happened in Exodus 24. What a privilege for Israel. And yet what a shadow. You and I have the reality. You and I have the reality. And so as we go through the rest of Exodus and look at the tabernacle, those are a shadow of privilege for which we have the reality. So I want you to read those with great interest because we get to know this God, not from afar, but up close. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning to have a chance to be in your word, to see what you have done in the past in Israel's history, but also to see how it applies to us. God, thank you that you have opened up a better way for us through Jesus Christ, through his flesh, through the veil that has been torn so that we might know you, that we might dwell with you forever and ever. Lord, help us, help us to say with the people of Israel all that you have spoken we will do and help us to obey, not by our own might, but by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Brothers and sisters, as you go, may you be encouraged by the access we have through the blood of Jesus.
Amen.